Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get started, let me take a moment to welcome our international listeners. The Costa Report can not only be heard in every state in the country, but is also broadcasting around the world. And I want to thank listeners everywhere for your many letters, tweets, Facebook messages, and for supporting the paperback version of the, the Watchman's Rattle, which, by the way, just hit bookstores this week. My guest today is not only widely known for blazing new trails in television and journalism, but is also known as the Thinking Man's talk show host. In just a moment, Emmy Award winner Mr. Dick Cavett will be joining us on the program. But before he does... Let me tell you a little bit about his background. Mr. Cavett was born in Nebraska, the son of two school teachers. In Cavett's case, his knack for show business showed itself very early. When he was in eighth grade, he directed his first radio show. And from here, Cavett went on to pursue his love for acting, magic, comedy, and writing. While he was a student at Yale University, Cavett appeared in many of their theatrical productions. His television career began when Jack Parr hired him to write for The Tonight Show, and within weeks, Cavett became the talent coordinator for the program. He continued in this role when Johnny Carson became the host of the program. But Cavett is perhaps best known as the host of The Dick Cavett Show, a popular talk show which aired through 1982. This was a program that was ahead of its time. Unwilling to bow to convention, Cavett invited very eclectic, often outspoken guests to his show, and he was known for engaging them in deep, thoughtful, and witty conversations. No one was off-limits for the Dick Cavett show. He interviewed Jimi Hendrix, Marlon Brando, Muhammad Ali, John Lennon, and other iconoclasts in an unusual style that was respectful, intelligent, and very honest. He often moderated what can only be described as a form of informal debate on important issues of the time. And for these reasons, Dick Cavett quickly became known as the most distinguished talk show host in America. Today, Mr. Cavett continues to be a best-selling author and popular blogger for the New York Times. It's my pleasure to have with us today a man whose wit is only exceeded by his insatiable thirst for the truth, Mr. Dick Cavett. Welcome to the program, Mr. Cavett. What a terrible thing you've done to me. No one could possibly follow that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll just have to break your neck falling off that pedestal, I guess. Can't you list some of my bad qualities? There are just as many. (laughs) No, sir, I didn't find any of those. And uh, I don't even want to go there. Um, You know, I I have to tell you, I'm a big fan, and it's a great privilege to speak to you today. And I had so many, I don't know if you know this, but you have so many fans out there. They ought to really bring you back because I got 
probably more emails than any other guest I've had this year as soon as the word got out that we were going to have you on the show. So I don't know if you know that, but you should have that feedback. No kidding. Yeah, I'd I'm, love, yeah, I'm I not kidding you. People who read my blog online, and I always have to add that because... You know, there are still people who say, I look all through the paper and I don't see your column. Well, of course not. It's online. But uh, they keep saying, why don't you do a show? I'm kind of getting the urge to do it some again, probably not five days a week, which is penal servitude. But um, sometimes I get the itch. I, I, like I really think you've got a giant audience, and like I said, I think your show is ahead of its time, and maybe the time is right now. You know, we're just coming off the heels of one of the most divisive elections that I can remember, and now we really need to pull together pretty quickly to tackle these large issues, and for starting, for starters, I mean, creating jobs and getting our contr- uh, getting control of our spending. Um, yeah, you, do you think we'll ever pull together after the, such bitterness? Uh, wouldn't you love to be in a closet with the door open slightly hearing the recriminations and bad mouthing of each other and people who failed and people in the Romney group who I, I am told are willing to blame several specific other people for what went wrong. It would just be fun to hear it all. Well, that's what their biography, their best-selling biographies are for. <laughs> yeah, right. It all comes out, but it, it comes out uh, when they can make some money through publishing, you know, these deep, dark secrets. You know, you've, you've had a lot of experience sitting down with folks with polarized views, and but somehow you were able to get them to talk and listen to one another. So I wanted to open up today's program by asking you, what does the president need to do to get the country working together again? Because I just don't see how we're going to get anything done if the gridlock continues for another four years. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in anybody's ability to do that. But uh, the Republican Party must realize, it, with being kicked in the butt as they were, and many largely to my delight, that um, they really gonna have, they're going to have to do something. And, and when you have a, a Mitch McConnell who announced that the main goal for himself and his party was to get Obama out of office, uh, it seems like a long way from that to cooperation. But uh, they'll just about have to. The main thing is, how could they be so dumb as to not notice that women and Hispanics were very, very important? Well, I was asked about this, and I feel that the hidden story that hasn't been discussed yet is the fact that we had 164 laws passed at the state level between the last election and this election that made it harder for these Democratic groups to vote. In other words, we shortened the period of time in which you could vote early. Uh, You had to have government-issued identification, which really hit the Hispanic and black voting population the hardest. I think this was a landslide for the Democrats, and I don't think the landslide showed up because of those voting restriction laws. I think this was bigger than we think. Well, yeah, there were incidents where um, people reported at registration places that uh, the lady in this instance, in this anecdote, whenever a Democrat came along, they didn't punch the button that pushed it into place. Mm-hmm. So they ended up suspiciously, you would think, with no Democrats having registered over many, many hours. Um, I mean, th- that's an aberration and, and probably not a lot of similar cases to that. 
but the attitude that produced it is there. And it would be interesting to know what the number might be if we really knew the knew the full story. Well, you know, I used to watch your show quite a bit, and you had some tricks. You had some knack for getting two polarized sides to actually shut up and listen to each other. What what tricks were you using? Oh, I'm, I've never really been aware of those things. I've been praised for things that I, I guess I could only say were instinct. Um, but something you said earlier reminded me of the, the number of times a politician, even a, a movie star, someone with a scandal in their life, would say to me afterwards, how did you get me to talk about that? Yeah, uh, how did you? Talking about that. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not self-analytical, and um, the only thing I can think of is I know how a guest feels having been one, mm-hmm. um, with Johnny, one night with Jack Parr, and weird night years earlier, but on Merv, I, I was, I, my highest ambition was not to ever have a talk show, it was to be a guest on one someday, <laughs> then I thought, then I will have made it, and I can go back to Nebraska, and uh, marry Patsy, and uh, settle down on a farm. So you strive to be a guest, and you wound up getting the job as the talk show host. But in some ways, that's more fun. but in a funny way. Yeah. But then you got to pick your own guest. You hired me as a guest booker because there was not an opening legally on the writing staff yet. So (laughs) I'm sure it's safe to – I didn't sign a release, so I hope you don't get sued for this. Uh, But I I was uh, actually writing while posing as a booker. Uh Uh-oh. Became a full-fledged writer. Well, we're going to hear from the writers' union on that. <laughs> while I, well, yeah. They, while I was a booker, they're going to come back for fees from you. This could be, you know. But uh, go ahead, I, I can hide. The, um, I realized one day, sitting in an office interviewing possible guests for Jack Parr, the irony of the fact that I wanted to be on the par show and now i was in a position to put people on the par show and the only person in the world i couldn't put on the par show was myself well there you go uh, there you have it people a, a bit of show business history we have to take a short commercial break when we come back we're going to hear more about where the media might be heading you're listening to the costa report I- there's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven but here's a little bit of good news Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profetta, owner-broker of Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831 622-1040 or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. You asked 
and we listened. The new and improved paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle is now available in bookstores everywhere, including airports across the country. If you've been hemming and hawing about not having time to go online or pick up a copy, well, now you don't have any excuses. Find out why government gridlock, terrorism, epidemic obesity, crime on Wall Street, even problems with education and health care have an evolutionary basis to them. Because when you do, you'll never look at our problems the same way. So pick up the freshly printed paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle. Don't wait. Do it now. Give yourself a real reason to feel optimistic. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available everywhere you are. Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Lomond Market. This week, we are featuring Florida red grapefruit, two for $1. From California, we have red seedless grapes, $1.99 a pound. These beauties are large, sweet, and crunchy. We also have California head lettuce, 89 cents each, and butternut squash, 69 cents a pound. From Oregon, we are featuring Bosque pears, the Anjou pears, and Camise pears, 89 cents a pound. And from Wisconsin, we have 12-ounce package cranberries, $1.99 each. In organics, we have the Anjou pears, $1.19 a pound, broccoli, $1.69 a pound, and red or green Swiss chard, $1.89 a bunch. Our weekend specials are bunched broccoli, 99 cents each, and large Northwest Fuji apples, 99 cents a pound. So come check out our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Loman Market. Hi, Dale here from Jungle Plant. Today I'm answering the most frequent question I receive. What is Jungle Plant? We're a full-service interior plant company providing sales, service, and rental of plants. And we're here for you with free consultations. So give us a call at 462-5806 or visit us at jungleplant.com and Facebook and Yelp and Manta and Merchant Circle and LinkedIn and Twitter and Google and Yahoo Local. I'm Jim Bohannon, host of America in the Morning. Each day, we take you around America and the world to bring you the latest. And while we keep our eye on the top news, we never lose sight of all the information you need to make your life complete. Morning Drive jumpstarts your day. What jumpstarts your morning drive? We'd like to. Join Jim Bohannon on America in the Morning, 5 to 6, Monday through Friday on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is Emmy-winning talk show host, author, and blogger for the New York Times, Mr. Dick Cavett. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that you became a guest booker for Jack Parr on The Tonight Show, which completely destroyed your original plans to be a guest on that show. Yeah. <laughs> I was the only person I couldn't put on the show. And uh, the day it struck me... Uh, I was interviewing, oh, what was his name, uh, who wrote The Exorcist. Um, we all knew it fairly recently. Uh, and, and, and then a weirdo came in and, and uh, thought that supplying me with the names of various hookers around town would get him on the show. <laughs> and it is one after another, like the strangest <laughs> people and some really wonderful ones. Uh, and 
I just thought, why don't I just put my cell phone? <laughs> but I can't. Of course. Well, you can't do that. You know, moving right along, uh, we had some terrific examples during this campaign of just how hard it is to be a moderator when you have two strong personalities competing for the limelight. I assumed you watched the presidential debates. What did you think about the moderators? Uh, I, I thought they had a, a, a wretched job uh, assigned to them. And it, uh, I don't know, it seemed to me Candy Crowley may have done it best. Um, she took a lot of flack. Yeah, I know. Why did she take so much flack other than the fact that she's a woman and half the country thinks women can't do anything right? Well, I think because she tried to make a correction and they didn't want the moderators to make any correction. I mean, they accused uh, um, Lair of not being forceful enough and not taking control of the format. And then they, you know, flipped over and said Candy Crowley interfered in the actual yes. debate. It's the, kind uh, of a no-win position, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, a, as the old expression used to say, a mugs game to be a moderator of a presidential debate because you're going to uh, offend somebody for sure and many large numbers of people. Uh, not as many as many of the candidates offended, but um, still, it's, it, it's tough because you're going to look like you're biased to one side if you correct somebody. Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to correct somebody who makes, uh, with some of, uh, of uh, Romney's uh, lies, it would be difficult to stand, sit there and not say um, that deserves some uh, correction. Uh, but on the other hand, you've been a terrific moderator in the past. Uh, how would you have handled this differently than maybe Candy Crowley or Lair? I don't know. The time I never thought of myself as much a moderator, though I did have some shows of that sort. Where, oh, you absolutely uh, did, yes. One of them that offended the Nixon White House mightily was uh, when John Kerry was on right out of Vietnam. And, um, and you had O'Neill with him. O'Neill, whom the White House lied about having coached, but they had. Um, and tell our audience about that. I did learn later that I liked about O'Neill. He, um, he gave his wife a kidney. Probably not his own, but he did. Well, tell our audience about that interview for those people that didn't know. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the kidney no, story I, I because I'm already get going to you know we're already going to hear from the writers union about the fact you didn't pay your fees when you were writing for Jack Parr. So, you know, we we can't alienate everybody in one interview here. Yeah, change the subject. Change. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, my biggest moderation night was my notorious uh, program that still lives in infamy between Gore Vidal and Norman Mailer. Yes. And the tactful way I handled that uh, is sort of still quoted. The worst moment can be seen on YouTube. Um, but uh, you can't do, as I, when Norman said the one thing to me that I didn't realize until that moment would offend me the most, why don't you just look at the question sheet and read the next question off? Mm -hmm. I thought, I'm not David Frost. Mm-hmm. Then I said, why don't you fold it five ways and put it where the moon don't shine? <laughs> now, people have to understand this was live. This is constantly mis <laughs> uh, as stick it and shove it. When those would be vulgar terms, wouldn't they? Yes. But it got maybe the biggest laugh I can remember ever getting in my life. Yes. 
And then, uh, and Norman, of course, came back. Humor was not Norman's strong suit. And no. he, but is that something you've had canned for years, waiting to use? I mean, is that is that fair improvisation, or is that? And, and I had the poor taste to say I should have to tell you a quote from Tolstoy, you know, and it went on from there. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had come was on that your toughest? Gore was, and Gore, was, was that your uh, toughest guest? Sorry? Was that your toughest guest, would you say? No, I loved every second of that show. Uh, I uh, And the great Janet Flanner almost stole the show. Um, and it was uh, it was just a delight. It, it was rough, yeah, in doing it. It was not easy. Uh, there was a lot of tension. A lot of uh, guests were booed by the audience. Some uh, gore was cheered. For a single sentence that he said, not because it was an opinionated sentence, which, of course, he could do beautifully, too, but just the grace of the language, the kind that people lament constantly has gone out of our human discourse. I can almost do it for you verbatim uh, from memory. Um, Don't fail me, memory. Uh, Norman said something like... uh, uh, Gore, could you, could you just quit going for the yucks? I mean, could you just, instead of playing to the audience, could you just play to me, just talk to me? Mm-hmm. Gore said, I'd be happy to talk to you, Norman, but by a strange set of circumstances, we find ourselves not at the friendly neighborhood bar, but in fact, we find ourselves by election in front of a studio audience. And so it would be dishonest of us to pretend otherwise. Wow. And the audience clapped for the beauty of the statement. Wow. I'd like to hear Mitt Romney put that one together. Wow. Talk, talk about pulling the covers off of the relationship there that is, um, that's a pretense at best. They had been great friends over years. They both became literary stars at the same time, Norman with The Naked and the Dead and Gore with The City and the Pillar, which was really the first prominent novel with the homosexual theme. Mm-hmm. And um, they had been buddies. Um, Norman had even lived at Gore's house. I found out only recently when he was suffering the aftermath of stabbing his wife. Mm-hmm. And um, before this awful and wonderful night. I asked Gore once, are you and Norman friends? And he said, yes, really are. You know, I, we pass on the street like two old whores and one of us is still at it, Norm, and the other one is, yes, still at it, Gore. <laughs> you don't have anybody saying that anymore. It's, no, where is language? We're, we're all, no, we're all too careful. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't want that stuff picked up and misunderstood. We're so politically correct. It's on the verge of boring, don't you think? Yes, I'm opposed <laughs> to anything politically correct, including the phrase Native American. Does that shock you? I, I don't know why that's become a problem. Uh, honestly, you don't have to go very far to step into it, do you? No, it, it's all around you with all the, the traps and... Uh, torpedoes, the fireworks kind you can step on. Um, Native American, I probably should explain that for those who are already Well, well unfortunately, we've got, to take a short, we've got to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk about that. <laughs> we got, I've got hard breaks here for our sponsors. So let's take that break, and then when we come back, let's talk about Native Americans. And I also want to talk about your unusual friendship with boxing legend Muhammad Ali. You're listening to the Costa Report. Mm-hmm. 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, and I'm here to tell you about a family that has been producing old-school premium wines in California for longer than I have been on the radio. They started small with only one goal, to produce limited lots that rival the best wines in the world. And they have never drifted from that goal. So this holiday, take my word for it and check out Caraccioli's premium Brut, Brut Rosé, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. They make a welcomed gift. And if you're near their tasting room in downtown Carmel, stop by and sample the wines the Caraccioli family has been perfecting for generations. That's Caraccioli Cellars. Don't forget that name because these are wines that you're going to be hearing a lot more about. And from the Caraccioli family to you, have a happy and safe holiday. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, we pause to remember the veterans of our military. So let's all pause to remember at 11 a.m. Then at 2 p.m., let's celebrate. Hello, Vietnam veteran Michael Olson here with an invitation for you to join me at the second annual Monterey County Veterans Day Parade in Old Town Salinas. Parade starts at 2 p.m. on Sunday, November 11th at Salinas High School and then proceeds with all kinds of fanfare through Old Town to the Steinbeck Center. Remember to remember our veterans on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Then at 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 11th of November, bring your family, friends, and American flags and join in the celebration of our veterans at Monterey County's annual Veterans Day Parade in Salinas. What day was that, you ask? Why, that was the 11th day of the 11th month. Parade starts at 2 p.m. Join me. Let's celebrate all of our veterans. It's time for some good old-fashioned fun. Hello, John Kegabine here. You probably heard me talking up the Agriculture History Project at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds. Well, you've listened long enough. Now it's time for you to hop to it and get in on some of that down-on-the-farm fun at the Ag History Project's 27th Annual Harvest Dinner and Auction. Celebrate the hop industry with free tastings of Santa Cruz, mountain, beers, and a new display of growing hops. You will spend freely when the auctioneer, Terry Medina, fires up the crowd with items nobody passes up. Like a wild German game dinner for eight, a Valentine dinner for 12, a week's vacation in a beachfront condo near Waikakee, and a week's vacation on the bay in Puerto Vallarta. This is Ag History Project's major fundraiser, and you can help by having lots of fun with your family and friends. Tickets are $60 at theagshistoryproject.org or call 831-724-5898. We live in the age of mobile devices. They keep us in touch and informed. They help us work and play, and they all use rechargeable batteries. But these batteries aren't just rechargeable, they're recyclable. And more than 50,000 free drop-off locations across North America make it easy and convenient. We all enjoy the freedom that mobile technology gives us. Let's accept the responsibility to pass that freedom on. Find out how you can answer the call to recycle. Visit calltorecycle.org. This Sunday on Eat, Drink, Explore Radio. Thanksgiving, it's just a few weeks away, so we will have tips on picking the best California-grown turkeys. Also, turning restaurant food waste into electricity is the plan for one Bay Area county and good deals on local resorts and lodges. We've got you covered Sunday mornings 8 to 10, live right here on KSCO AM 1080. Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, your lifestyle information source. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Emmy Award winner Dick Cavett. And before the break, you were about to explain what you meant by the term Native American. Yeah, you know, uh, my computer is uh, seriously wounded, apparently, by the storm. I just tried to Google Native American origin of, but uh, my computer won't go there or anywhere. Are you sure it didn't come up and say, see, politically incorrect? (laughs) (laughs) I'd be happy if it came up and said, shut up. It just (laughs) anything. Uh, No, the reason I'm against that phrase is that it's utterly unnecessary, like most politically, all politically correct isms. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't say what it thinks it says. Uh, I should, not to brag and tribe drop, I'm an adopted Sioux and an adopted Crow, Mm -hmm. which is a little ironic because Western students know they're the bitterest of enemies. Uh, My old Sioux friend, Richard Foolbull, who died at 89, remembered was a baby at Wounded Knee, the original one, mm-hmm. and uh, always said, I I am proud to say I have never shaken hands with a crow. Uh, well, the crows were mercenaries for Custer. Anyway, um, it's uh, Native American. Most kids, what, in sixth grade can tell you the word native means born in. Yes. So, therefore, you and I and Geronimo and Crazy Horse and Men Afraid of His Horses and uh, Sitting Bull are equally Native Americans. So what does it tell you? And it also says, as all politically correct things say, there's something wrong with what you are. If you're blind, you're visually challenged. If you're crippled, you're disabled. And and there's something wrong with being an Indian, so uh, we're going to make you a Native American. It sounds like something nice. Well, Uh, we like to homogenize everything and make it pretty. What does that instinct come from, since so few things are pretty? (laughs) I I, I don't know. Anyway, I was at, not not to place a drop, I was at old wounded knee side of the grave site in South Dakota. I go there every so often see some Sioux friends. Mm-hmm. Sioux woman of about 35 said, uh, could you do anything about this goddamn Native American thing? We hate it. Yeah. yeah. You are an American Indian. I don't think there are many people who will think that hearing that you're an Indian will think you're from Karachi or Bombay or Calcutta. No, of course so I not. Think that's wrong. Anyway, that's it. That's my rant on Native American. Okay, so now that your rant's done, let me ask you a question about a recent blog that you wrote, and it really touched me. It was about your dear friend Muhammad Ali. So for the audience today, okay, for the audience today who has not read the blog, I want them to go and read the blog because it was it was just deeply emotional for me. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, um, Ali and I were great friends. Um, he was on my show numerous times, always a wonderful guest, except a defeated and down one once. Um, after his jaw was broken and he came on uh, with a wired jaw. But um, I, 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 all these years, I thought I didn't keep up with Ali. When I heard about his illness, I should have gone and seen him. And but I thought I'd wait a while. And worse reports came along. And then I began to fear: Do I want to see him reduced so horribly? And would he still know me? Mm-hmm. 
he just adored me. It was the funniest thing. And you and, stayed away. And I did. I mm -hmm. did stay away. And then this event came up. The actors, Norman Mailer again. Norman Mailer, uh, an organization that gives money to encourage writers and underwrites promising writers. And it was a big event in the big hotel ballroom at the Mandarin, and there were Joyce Carol Oates, and uh, because of her writings about boxing, and Oliver Stone, and, and um, Alec Baldwin did a brilliant hosting job. Mm -hmm. And they had set up two stages, one for almost everything, and then one that had a curtain drawn, like a little theater. And when Ali was introduced, this curtain opened, and there he was, seated as if on a throne with dark, dark glasses. Mm -hmm. And later I sat next to him at a picture-taking session, and it was really so sad because he was frozen. Uh, he looked, kept looking straight ahead. I said, Ollie, it's me, Dick Cavett. Remember you did my show a lot? Remember the fun we had in the Caribbean and the night you stayed at my house in Montauk and all and on? And I had asked his wife beforehand, will he know me? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm afraid of. And she said, he probably will, but he can't answer you. Mm -hmm. And about the second time I said my name, there was a little stirring in him, as if he tried to speak and tried to move a little. Mm -hmm. He had been brought there in a wheelchair, which is horrifying. And... Um, I've chosen to interpret that as that something got through. I can't be sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but to see mighty fallen so is just terrible. Now, I didn't know Ali, but he struck me as an amazingly complex man. He, he had an artistic yeah. and athletic and political and humanitarian side. There were just so many sides to him. So when I had heard that the two of you struck up a close friendship, I didn't find that that surprising. Well, I, I did, of course, because I didn't realize at first when it started... What, as you say, what a complex man he was, how intelligent he was, how witty he was, how beautifully he managed his appearances everywhere, uh, his, uh, his fake anger and all of those things that he played so beautifully. He was a marvelous actor and a real comedian. And, uh, and looking at him in his prime was like looking at a god. And I, when he, hey, Dick. Want me to fix you up with some girls? <laughs> <laughs> Great moment. I, I'm not remember it was in. I'm going to do a part two on this. I decided, but um, I don't know, remember now if this I wrote this in and if I included this in part one. He um, he came on after his jaw had been broken in the column. I remember the name of the guy who broke it and Fox boxing fans do, and he was very sullen. And he said, Dick, you know, I'm just an old, broke-down fighter now. Nobody wants me on that talk show. You're the onlyest one. Mm. Main man, Dick. And everywhere I went for years up to including, this could still happen now. Mm -hmm. And I was in Harlem three days later at the Apollo for something. And numerous people came up and said, do you realize what a compliment that is? Ali's main man. Well, in Nebraska, we didn't have the expression main man. And I didn't realize that it was 
the greatest accolade you can get. <laughs> well, it was. He was he was letting you know that there was intimacy and there was real friendship and affection there. Yeah, I don't know. I never forget why he liked me so much. He just uh, well, I think you're both very similar. You have this broad spectrum of interests. I mean, you're interested in magic. You're interested in in Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon. You know, you you were both. Oh, knowledge he, he did magic. Yes, he. he, he yeah. the, we, I didn't realize that we did have that in common. Uh, you both he, loved he, magic. He handkerchief everywhere he went. Uh, <laughs> it was so funny. And I introduced him to one of the great magicians of the world, Slidini. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and Ali hit it off. And it was, once uh, I was staying in Virgin Gorda in the British Virgin Islands and at one of those Rockefeller resorts, and Ali was in, I heard that he was in St. Croix. And I went over to see him there and I said, why don't you come back to Virgin Gorda? And he did. <laughs> Imagine what that did to that island. Uh, the island must have gone nuts. That God came down from the sky. Oh, yeah. I was in Japan when he came to Japan. And you know what that was like. Anybody, any American goes to Japan. But Ali came and it was a national holiday. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was it was absolutely crazy. Well, we have to take our last break. I know you hate these breaks, but you know we got to do a little business here. So we have to take our last break. And when we come back, I do want to talk your, about your book, Talk Show. You're okay, listening to Ask me anything you think I wouldn't dare answer. <laughs> All right, it's a deal. All right, it's a deal. You're listening to the Costa Report. Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health, but not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber, everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless. Visit Dole.com. The holiday season is in full swing, and I know how important it is to select just the right gift for the people you love. That's why this year I want to suggest something that won't end up in the closet or garage. The new paperback edition of The Watchman's Rattle has just hit bookstores everywhere. In fact, for those of you true last-minute shoppers, you can even pick up a copy at the airport. That's right right there at the airport at any one of the Hudson bookstores. So this year, give the book that explains how we can fix our current economic worries and make life fun again. Give the Watchman's Rattle. And while you're at it, pick up a copy for yourself. You'll be glad you did. It's all about old Santa coming Christmas Eve to answer many letters that you can't believe the faces of the kids are
old computers, sticky keyboards and random cables, the monster loud fax, and the printer that swallows paper. These are but a few of the space-eating dinosaurs that clutter up your home and office. Put them to work. Hope Services of Santa Cruz and San Jose uses old electronics that don't work to put people with disabilities to work, creating space while creating jobs. For over 60 years, Hope Services has been championing people with developmental disabilities. Hope Services gives people skills that help them live self-sufficiently and contribute economically. Help build hope by bringing your unwanted electronics to one of over a dozen free drop-off locations. Your e-waste is recycled responsibly by a local state-approved refiner and does not go overseas. Out with the old and in with opportunity. To find out what items are accepted and a convenient Santa Cruz or San Jose Hope Services e-waste drop-off location near you, visit hopeservices.org. This ad made possible by a grant from Nish. Hi, folks. Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Going through my tackle box the other day brought to mind all the choices we have. Lures like a Castmaster, a Wobble Right, Super Dupers, Ford Fenders, a Crocodile, Panther Martin, or a Blue Fox. A Hoochie might work. It's hard to know which one. All work differently. When it comes to hiring a roofing contractor, it's a lot like a tackle box. Lots of choices between contractors. Some look flashy, talk, dress fancy have a lot of promises and can be very convincing and pretty. But when it comes to your home, especially your roof, there's only one choice to get the job done right, and that's Knox Roofing. So folks, don't get lured in by a flashy contractor. Knox Roofing tells it straight. We have a track record unsurpassed in the community. If poor workmanship and substandard materials is what you're looking for, Knox Roofing is not for you. So give Knox Roofing a call today. We'll be a good catch for you at 461 634. Thanks, folks. Welcome back to the Costa Report. Our guest today is Mr. Dick Cavett. And before the last break, we were talking about your dear friend, Muhammad Ali, and the lovely blog you recently wrote about your nostalgic meeting. Now, in your last book, Talk Show, you write about testifying on behalf of John Lennon, confronting Nixon, and even in incidents with Betty Davis. So looking at the book now, and you said I could ask you anything I wanted to. So, um, that wasn't me. <laughs> so lo looking at the All book right. now, is there one story that you were tempted to include in the book, but under better judgment you decided to leave out? Gee, I wish I had a racy answer for you to that, but I don't. Oh, uh, come on. Give me something racy. Give me something good. Somebody thought, somebody at the publisher thought that I came down too hard on General Petraeus in two pieces. <laughs> One of them about how, uh, you know, actors uh, don't their Oscar around their neck. Why do you have to go around parading your medals and honors and ribbons, that, uh, half an acre of them? On But now that Petraeus is caught in a scandal, I feel sorry for him. You do. After, well, it wasn't just Petraeus. You didn't feel that generals should be wearing all of those ribbons on their, on their suits because, because, what of, because of what those medals and those ribbons stood for. In your and view. it brings to mind the great Mort Saul at his prime describing, I think, General, uh, somebody from the Vietnam or Westmoreland and all his, and saying, and Mort knew the names of each one of those things in his brilliant way. And he listed them all and then said, very impressive if you're 12. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? The fact is, is they do stand guard. They do keep our, our country safe. I'm, you know, I, I mean, I'm from a military family myself. And I can't I, help 
I, yeah, you know, and I understand it. I understand the the need to uh, adorn ourselves to be able to show authority. I mean, this is this is goes back to prehistoric tribes. Right. Right. That's what we do. We and adorn ourselves. ourselves with getting us out of the goddamn Vietnam War before it becomes the greatest disaster in our history. Well, that's true. But we're a hierarchical little organism and we like to know who's the boss. And it helps when the boss is wearing ribbons. OK, so now I get to ask you something. Oh, no. I knew, I knew the day would come when I'd lose my position as talk show host and I'd become uh, guest on my own program. Uh, do, you, do you ever consciously book somebody simply because you don't like them, but you think they're interesting? Yes, all the time. Yeah. How about Rush Limbaugh? I don't find him interesting. <laughs> That's my. You know, he's inspiring in a way. He shows how far you can get on looks alone. Oh, no. You didn't say that. I didn't say that. You, you didn't say that. What do you think of his show? It was Rick Moranis, the cavity imitator from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of uh, Rush Limbaugh's show or folks like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh? And, you know, talk show radio, I mean, radio talk shows have just been hijacked yeah. by folks like that. And what do you think about what's happened to the media? Because, boy, in this election year, we saw some real polarization in the media, not just yeah, the I think it's all, it's, it's inevitable, and each side has pointing at the other side. I love the fact that the uh, a segment of the right kept saying how the media demonized uh, Mitt Romney. And John Stewart the other night ran a clip of six incidents during the longer debate when everybody was on stage of everybody f from uh, oh, well, Rick, what's his name? Rick... Um, Santorum and, and uh, everybody saying most dreadful things about Romney, who was standing on the other side of the stage. Uh, now, now it turns out that only the uh, liberals were saying those things. Well, are you talking about when they when, when they were running for the Republican nomination? Deciding who was going to be the man. Yeah. And uh, there, there they all are saying this man, this man who ruined a business, took a business and put people out of work, who loves to fire people who has no concept of what this and on and on, who lies and changes his story every two days. And well, they were competing for the nomination. That's what <laughs> no. they do. That's not a surprise, is it? Not at all. But then to say it's those awful things the left said about him when they said them all themselves. Well, they said the same things that the left said about him, but, you know, all those guys were trying to win the nomination at the time. I mean, you could look at the same thing about the Democrats. Look at the Clintons and how they well, – well, wait a second. Let's, let's play fair. Let, we got to play fair here. The Clintons went after Obama just as maliciously when Hillary was trying to get the Democratic nomination. We can't forget about that. It's a rotten damn game, and everybody does it. That's that's right. Everybody does it, and then the then whenever they do get their nominee, then the other side uses whatever they just put out on the table. They ought to make these conventions private, and make the debate. Well, that's the best idea private. I've heard since your theory that the progress in the world is outrunning the human brain. <laughs> Uh, ability to deal with it. No, I'm just saying, why don't they make the Democratic... With that lately, as with the storm, of course. the lighting company on Long Island, the electric company, didn't have enough. They ran out of telephone poles, as we've heard from Governor Cuomo. And these poor people in their almost dozenth, twelfth day of getting pneumonia, needing medical help, needing medicine, this great can-do country that can't 
protect its citizens. Well, I'll tell you, a, a friend of mine who's an economist, he has a saying, and it was really brought home in this recent disaster and then the Nor'eastern that followed it. He said, anarchy is five missed meals away. That's quite good. Yeah, it is. You you take any society, it doesn't matter how advanced it is, could be the United States, could be China, and you take its citizens and you have them miss five meals, you will have anarchy. It doesn't matter what society it is. And and he's right. We get away from that. We forget that it doesn't take much to tip a society the other direction. Who was the German political philosopher who said, Zuerst was reißen, dann kommt die Moral. First give us something to eat and then give us your theories. There you go, you know. And and in fact, last night I was at a speech and somebody asked me, they said, well, you know, if we're all headed toward collapse, what should we be doing? And I said, well, according to the media, you should be stocking up on gold. But I have news for you as a biologist, you can't eat gold. So here's what I recommend. The person who stocks up on canned goods... Yeah. They, they'll they'll own the world because the you won't. <laughs> along with the cockroach and what's the other thing that has survived through the uh, millions of years? Oh, sorry, fundamentalist. Through six thousand years, um, it, it, it's. Uh, but I must correct you on one thing. Gold? You're going to save up on gold, not canned goods? <laughs> you can eat gold. Don't you remember when there were those gold flakes that you could put on your soup? Oh, I know. You know, I just went to a restaurant where they had some gold thing on the top of my risotto, and I took it off because I thought it was decorative. <laughs> they said, no, you're supposed to eat it. It's good for your digestive system. I've just system. destroyed your reputation for your accuracy by saying you can't eat gold. You I mean, can. You can eat gold, actually, but not, you know, I mean, it's not going to uh, save you, and I believe that than anybody who's got a farm or who's got a warehouse of canned goods, everyone's going to be handing over their gold to that particular person. I've never told this before. I bought a gold, $20 gold piece, that's redundant, of course, about 25 years ago for, I wow. think, $100. You did. What is it today? And why didn't I spend everything I had on them? <laughs> is it at about $1,700 well, now? Well, we're almost out of time here, but I think that that oh. pretty much... Well, I'm going to tell you, that cements my thoughts that nobody's going to be calling you for investment advice anytime soon, Mr. Cavett. I'm sorry. They'll, oh, hopefully, no. they'll call you for a moderator position and put you back on the air because I know there are a lot of people that would like to uh, hear from you again. And I am Shall afraid... I tell you the most quoted <laughs> line from my book, talk show? Yes. It's in the piece called The Wild Wordsmith of Wasilla about uh, Sarah Palin. The line was, she seems to have no first language. <laughs> oh, that's cold. Okay, so on that note, that is yeah. all the time we have left today. But before we say goodbye, let me thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. It was a complete friends, let us sayonara domo regato Thank you, Mr. Cabot. If your station's leaving us after the first hour, my guest next week was the first person to break the sound barrier. And then 65 years later, at the age of 89, he had the nerve to do it all over again. General Chuck Yeager will be with us to talk about whether America still has the right stuff and what it's going to take to reestablish the respect which the country once enjoyed abroad. Don't miss an honest and inspiring conversation with American patriot Chuck Yeager next week, right here on your favorite weekly news program. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and you're listening to The Costa Report.
Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner, broker, and active real estate agent of Alon Pinnell Realtors, a locally owned real estate company. We've operated on the peninsula for over 16 years, currently located on the corner of Ocean and Dolores and Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. We serve the Monterey Peninsula, focusing on Carmel, Pebble Beach, and the Carmel Valley. Our firm of about 50 agents represents everything from Carmel Cottages to Pebble Beach Estates and oceanfront properties to Valley Vineyards. We are actually known for our vast inventory of fine properties. Drop by and see us, or better yet, visit our website at apr-carmel.com. That's apr-carmel.com. Or you can give us a call at 831 622-1040. And make sure you tell them Judy sent me. If you're a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan, like me, coming home can be harder than expected. But it turns out I wasn't alone. At IAVA.org, there's a free online community of thousands of vets who've got your back. Whether it's managing the transition home or everyday stuff like finding a nice sweater for my dog. Sweater? (laughs) Okay, maybe not that. Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America is there for you. Join our community at IAVA.org. We got your back. Brought to you by IAVA and the Ad Council. Explore your universe with Coast to Coast AM. Assuming there's life like ours on other planets in this universe, do you think they too might be looking for this God particle or this question of who are we? How did we get here? Or do you think they even have the answer by now? If they're sentient, intelligent beings, I have no doubt in my mind they're asking the same questions that we're asking. And the day you find a being that's not looking is the day you probably found God. Monday through Friday, beginning at 10 p.m. on KSEO. Your source for news, sports, traffic, and weather. AM 1080, KSCO, Santa Cruz, San Jose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.